There are five main questions. Thank you so much, Tony. There are five main questions asked in life. I'm going to list them out. They may have them on the screen for you as well, I think. Uh, are they going to be in the back for me as well, just up here? Okay. Um, origin. Where do we come from? Uh, identify. Who are we? Meaning. Why are we here? Morality. How should we live? And destiny. Where are we going? Where do we come from? Who are we? Why are we here? How should we live? And where are we going? So this is the, the major dilemma of mankind. Us as believers have answers. Most, most believers don't know what those answers are. They take it by faith, but we can go even further than that. But even David had these exact same questions in Psalms chapter 8, verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Even David was questioned his very existence. You know, why am I here? What, what, what are we here for? Where are we going? And so on. So this is not something that's new. This, this goes back from the beginning of time. And David's own son, Solomon, by the way, David had his questions answered, but even Solomon, being David's son, had his own questions as well. And he lists those questions in the book of Ecclesiastes, which we're not going to go through today because uh, I'm really limited in time and I'm going to set this up for the weeks to come. But the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon wrote that, and that means just simply means the preacher. And he's out heralding the fact that, um, that life is futile. Life is nothing but vanity. You may have heard that. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Because, in other words, you work so hard, you have all these selfish goals and ambitions, but at the end of the day, what does it really matter? Because you still end up in the grave. And this was his dilemma. This was where he was at. He was asking those same questions. And so basically he was saying, a life without you, God, this is where he was at, a life without you, God, is absolutely hopeless and meaningless. So the answer to these questions depend upon the very existence of God himself. In other words, if God exists, then there's ultimate meaning and purpose to our lives. And if there's real purpose to our life, then there's a real right way to live and a real wrong way to live. There's rights and then there's wrongs. But on the flip side of that, if there is no God, then your life ultimately means nothing. It absolutely means nothing, which means there's no right, there's no wrong way to live, and ultimately your destiny is nothing but a futile attempt. Again, at the end of the day, you can gain everything, amass all kinds of wealth and riches and fame and fortune and everything, but you can't take it into the grave with you. So is there more than just this life? And if there is no God, then there is no more life than this life. And so everything you do doesn't matter anyways. Therefore, do what you want to do. Everybody should live by their own rules because there's nobody that makes up rules anyways because there is no God. But if there is a God, then there is a hereafter. There is a life after death and a God who you must answer to. There's an old parable uh, of the six blind men. I've heard this over the years. I never put it together until I studied this book. But uh, it's an interesting parable. These six blind men were, uh, uh, were given a, an elephant. And each one of them had a different part of the elephant. One grabbed the ear and said, oh, this is a fan. This is a fan. The other grabbed the side and said, oh, this is a wall. The other one grabs a tail and says, this is a rope. The other one grabs a leg and says, oh, th th this is a tree. You know, the other one um, uh, uh, grabs um, uh, the tusk and says, well, this must be a, a spear. And the other one grabs a trunk and says, well, this must be a snake. In other words, God is, in, in this particular story, parable, is the elephant, but each man gave a testimony based on his experience of the elephant. Why? Because they were blind and they could only tell the story based on what they could feel what they could hold in their own hand. And so therefore they say, well, that's like religion. All religions lead to one, the elephant, but everybody just has a different interpretation of the elephant except for one fatal flaw, one huge flaw, every man was blind. When you come to Jesus Christ and you give your life to Christ, what happens? You were blind, but now you see. You walk out of the kingdom of darkness and you're translated into the kingdom of light and you're able to see. That's what makes us different than the rest of the world. They say, well, that's arrogance. That's just arrogance on your part because, you know, after all, you know, um, uh, uh, you're just saying your way is right and your way is wrong. No, I never said my way was right, but he said his way was right. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Don't blame me. That's why you can't have your Jesus and eat it too. Somebody say amen. 
People want to just say, well, I got Jesus too. No, he's got rules and commands. Amen. And God uh, shows himself uh, to us um, through not just our experiences, but by revelation. And then you have what I call the American religion. And the American religion, which I, I, I coined that a long time ago. Maybe someone else has as well. I never heard anybody say it before. This is 20 years ago. And the American religion to me is no one religion is true. Whatever I believe is the truth. My God, I was saying that 20 years ago. Have we not seen that manifested more and more and more? It doesn't matter what any book says. It doesn't matter what the Bible says. It doesn't even matter what your experiences are. Whatever I believe, that is my truth. I'm just telling my truth. You ever heard that term before? And by the way, there are serious questions out of that. Like, why is God silent? People want to know why. Is, is God real? Uh, why does he allow suffering? Um, we're going to tackle those questions and so on. There's a lot of big ones that, that are going to be coming up. All right? So most of the world's major religions fall into four following religious worldviews. Number one is theism. Number two is pantheism. Number three is atheism. And number four is agnostic, okay? Uh, agnosticism, all right? Let's try, to, let's try it again. Theism, pantheism, atheism, and agnosticism. I'm gonna break those down. A theist is someone who believes in a personal God who created the universe but is not a part of the universe. Um, that would be somebody like you and I, and I'll explain it in just a moment, but if we took an analogy of the artist or the creator who, who is a painter and paints a beautiful painting that would be our universe and would be our world and our earth and, and all the laws that exist within it and how beautiful it is and you and I and our purpose and our destiny would be painted into this beautiful, just awesome painting by this incredible artist. That would be our viewpoint. Those that are, are Christians are theists. We believe that there's one God. He's the creator of everything. And so he painted that painting, right? And then uh, the major theist religions that we have are Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, if you wanted to know that. But then uh, there is the other group called the pantheist. And the pantheist is someone who believes in an impersonal God that literally is the universe. So using the analogy of the painting, um, it would be the, 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 uh, the painting would uh, exist because God is the painting, okay? There is no actual painter that designed or created that painting, but the painting itself is God. And they would say things like, the trees are God, the leaves are God, um, that cat is God, you're God, I'm God, we're all God wrapped up in one. That's pantheism, okay? And the major pantheistic religions are of Eastern variety, uh, Hinduism, uh, forms of Buddhism, and many forms of the New Age movement. Then you have the atheist. Of course, the atheist is someone who does not believe in any type of God. So using the analogy of the painting, uh, they just believe the painting always existed and there's never been a painter to paint that, 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 uh, that painting, which to me becomes a very problematic thing, okay? So the painting just always existed. There's never been a designer. There's never been a creator. So religious humanists would fall into that category. And then there's the agnostic. That's someone who is unsure about the existence of God. They want to enjoy the beauty of the painting without the burden of knowing who painted it. I'm just not sure, so I'm not going to bother myself with the details. I'm just going to be here to exist. Agnostics like atheists want facts, but when confronted with the facts, many times reject them because of the idea of a God having power over them strikes at the core of their rebellion. Rebellion in itself is very powerful. Rebellion in our state, when we think of rebellion to God, it's saying, I want to be God. I want to run my life. I don't want some supreme being telling me how to live my life. It reminds me, like when I was a teenager or you were a teenager, and you begin to feel your oats, as they say, and you begin to, that devil don't want this thing. You go, well, it's going out. It's going out. I said, help me, somebody. Yeah, ten of you. I can't get the rest of you on board. Amen. Somebody's concentrating in this room on me right now. They don't like what I'm saying. I'm telling you, they don't. They came to be a bit of a problem. So we bind that now in Jesus' name, 
and we're moving forward. You don't have any power here, so do what you got to do. Okay. And actually, I love it. I love that you came because you're going to learn something today. Okay, here we go. So now, here's the deal. Um, so so if, we, if we look at that, if we look at how all this rebellion comes about, it comes by, it's to give us power. It's to give us some strength, right? When you were a kid, you finally felt your old, so you said, I'm not going to do that. I'd rather take the beating, the punishment, the grounding, but I'm going to do what I want to do, right? Mom and dad does exist, but it doesn't matter. I'm still going to do what I want to do. That's the power of rebellion, right? You get to a certain age, you can't be corrected anymore. But the Bible, the Bible says that all men will answer to the day of judgment. So yes, it seems like you get away with it for a while, but without Christ and without the forgiveness of your sin and the mercy of God in your life, you will answer that judgment at some point. It just begins to rack up on you. So church, yes, we need faith, but I can tell you that we have the facts on our side as well. We don't have to just live by faith alone. There's also facts that back our Christianity. Even just, if you think about just the human eye itself, I know nothing about it, but I know one thing, these marbles in my head can see and, and, and can realize pictures. And they say it goes in upside down, and, but it's actually right side up. And so we're living kind of like this upside down world, but we're actually seeing it right side up. It's amazing, but that, that eye can, the intricacy of just the eyeball or just our DNA alone. You're only one of a kind out of billions and billions that ever lived before you and ever will live after you. You have a, your own particular, just that alone intricacy is not something that just happened out of a slime pit and crawled into a tree and became a monkey. Are you hearing me? There's got to be more than just that. I mean, any thinking person would go, wait a second here. Look, many times science and religion address the same questions. In other, in other words, they say, where did the universe come from? Where did life come from? Are miracles even possible, etc.? I love the old school saints because old school saints just walk by faith and not by sight. They don't need a lot of facts. They've, they've, got a, they've served God for years. They have a relationship with the Almighty. They might not have the education. Uh, they might not have the college degree, but they had, they, they, had, uh, they had the faith to produce the facts they wanted to see. In other words, we, back in the old days, if you had, a, had some sort of a ailment, they'd bring it to the church altar and they would pray until you got a miracle. They didn't mess around. It might take 36 hours, but we're going to pray until you get your breakthrough. You get your breakthrough. They used to call it praying through. In other words, there was a term known, especially in the Pentecostal churches, that we're not letting go. We're going to put God at his word. We don't know how God's going to do it. We're not scientists. We're not me me medical, medically trained people. We just know God will do it. So they faithed out their facts. I had an incurable blood disease when I was eight years old. And two people came up and told me that I could, be, I could be healed. Do you believe it? I said, yes. They prayed a prayer with me. In 21 days, I walked out of the hospital on record to date. Two long German names of a, of, a, of a blood disease no longer in my body, never been in my body, not in my children, not in my grandchildren, but it's, it, you inherit it. And so, and so completely healed by the power of God. I didn't know those facts. I'm just a little kid. Those guys, those men that came up there praying for me, they didn't know the facts, but they used their faith to change the facts. Amen. So, but we can have both but we have to understand that, that faith has a big part of this. In other words, science and religion are not mutually exclusive categories. Certainly not all religious claims are open to scientific historic investigation. We know this. Some are unverifiable. Some, but some beliefs are reasonable and they can be proven with a high degree of certainty. And there's lots of them. So the ones that are unverifiable, let me just give you, for instance, that came to my mind. Uh, Jesus, or I'm sorry, Mary um, being overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and being impregnated by God, by the, the Bible calls the seed of God, which was a mystery, it was a spiritual thing, and she became pregnant with Jesus, right? Well, that's not a verifiable, you know, when you start talking about the virgin birth, people start going, whoa, what do you mean the virgin? That's impossible. But it wasn't impossible. Well, all things are possible with God and to those who believe. And even she said, I don't know how this is going to happen, but be it unto me according to your word. She had to use her faith to get the facts, right? But we that are believers, we believe it. We've come to terms with it. We believe that that is true. We know enough about our God to believe that that's possible and that it is true, um, even though it's unverifiable. But now, Jesus, being a real man who walked 
the earth who claim to be God is not something we have to take by faith. It's a historical fact. They've got the writings. They got Josephus. They got all of the gospels. They have all these different people who claim the same thing to see Christ and that he did exist and lived in Galilee during that time. That's a fact. Everybody say that's a fact. So is Christianity reasonable? Well, I believe we as born again believers believe that it is. But, but here's the deal. I believe that unless one is seeking truth, then Christianity can become problematic in some areas. If you aren't wishing to have truth revealed to you, if you're not wanting truth, if you're not seeking truth, these things can pass you right by. You could be easily deceived. But if you're really wanting to know the truth, I believe that truth will be revealed to you. That's why people who might be in the New Age movement, they might be in the New Age movement today and find Christ at the end of it and have a total uh, uh, you know, ex- radical experience with the Lord because they're seeking the truth. They've not, in their mind, come to the truth, but they're seeking it. That's not always a bad thing. You will only go as far as your limited mind experiences can go. Um, and and, and it's, it's the craziest thing in the whole wide world. I don't mean to make fun of people, but it's just wild to me because there's been this uptick in resurgence, weird resurgence of flat earthers. You ever heard of flat earthers? These are people that now believe that the earth is flat. Now, we knew hundreds of years ago that the earth was not flat. These are theories that were given by great men of renown and even Galileo and so on. And so, and, but now their science has actually bared out. We've done all the math. We sent men into space. We know the curvature of the earth. We have, we have, we have uh, men with long, that shoot long-range um, uh, guns, long-range gu- guns, and when they do, they have to set their dial to the curvature of the earth because that bullet will begin to drop. So they know all this, but despite all of the science, people just say, well, I heard somebody, they spoke very well, they sound pretty wise, say that the earth was flat, therefore now I believe the earth is flat. Beyond the facts, so sometimes you can believe in the wrong thing. So you're going to have to have faith and you're going to have to have facts. Somebody say amen. They've got to, they've got to coexist together. And I, I'll tell you one of the biggest roadblocks I see toward Christianity for the agnostic and the atheist. You want to know what it is? It's the hypocrisy of Christians today. Now I'm going to preach a whole lot better than you want to shout at me. But this might be designed to bring some conviction. Because we got people out there who don't know Christ. We're the answer to their problem. We're the, we have the solution, I should say, to their problems and their questions. And yet we live just like them. And we, we, we say that we're going to serve God in one breath and go out there and live like them in the rest, rest of the week. That is not God. It's hypocrisy. And the, if you don't think that your friends and family and people see it, they may not say it, but they see it. And they want no part of it. Why would they want to be involved in a church or be involved in some religious cult like faith builders? You know, I, I say they're not going to take that now and run with that, but I'm saying that facetiously. And be a part of something like that and give your money to it as well to live like you? Why would I even do something like that? It's time for the church to wake up and live the way God intends to and start having some morals. Amen. Then it went quiet real quick. Amen. What's he going to say next? Okay, but church, even after all of that, I believe that it would still take more faith to be an atheist, a non-Christian, than an imperfect Christian that is still learning to become a disciple. I'll take that any day. The truth is, every religious worldview requires faith. Even the worldview that says there is no God, they're still operating by faith. How how can that be? Because they believe that there is no God. How do you know? They don't. They have to believe that there is no God. Everything operates by faith. So the question is, who has more evidence for their conclusion? Which conclusion is more reasonable? As you will see, uh, when we go through the series, we're going to look at the evidence. The atheist has, has to muster up, I believe, more faith than a Christian does to come up with their conclusions. What faith does is it covers, a, it covers a gap in knowledge, right? I mean, I've never seen my spleen, but they tell me it's there, right? I had to take that by faith. And I had to take that by the evidence of eyewitnesses who have seen it, that, and even though I haven't. Does that make sense? 
Never been to the moon. I can see it, but I've never been there. I, is it a marshmallow? What is this thing up there, right? But people walked on it. Again, there's conspiracies that say that we didn't go to the moon, but I choose to believe that we did, and we see the science behind it. So regardless of that, um, it exists. Whether I believe it or not, it is true and it exists. So my faith covers the gap in the knowledge. And it turns out that atheists have bigger gaps in knowledge because they have far less evidence for their beliefs and Christians than Christians have for theirs. In other words, the forensic, empirical, philosophical evidence strongly supports conclusions that are consistent with Christianity and inconsistent with atheism. All right, so let me, let me give you the 12 points, uh, and they're going sh- to show it on the screen, uh, that will show that Christianity is true. Now, some of these will begin to make more sense as we go through the series, but just let me list them out. You'll remember them. And by the way, you can take pictures of the screen. That's I, I'm thinking about it right now. Take pictures, and you can pick up the notes later, however you want to do it. Truth about reality is knowable. That's number one. So every truth about reality is knowable. Two, the opposite of true is false. Okay? I'll talk about that. Three, it is true that the theistic God exists, and this is evidenced by the beginning of the universe. That's called the, the cosmological argument. And then you have the design of the universe. That's the teleological argument or the anthropic uh, principle. And then you have the design of life, uh, which is teleological argument as well as a part of that. And then you have the moral law or the moral argument. In other words, how would you know what right is without God? How would you know what wrong is without God? It'd be impossible without something higher than you. Um, four, if God exists, then miracles are possible. Five, miracles can be used to confirm a message from God. We'll talk about that. Six, the New Testament is historically reliable. This is evidenced by the early testimony. It's evidenced by the eyewitness testimony or account. Uh, it is the in, in un, uninvented authentic testimony. And, and I'll sh- show you that in, in a little bit too. And it's confirmed eyewitness account. Okay. So we have the documents of Matthew, documents of Mark. These are all separate writings. Document of Luke and the documents of John. So each of them give their personal eyewitness accounts or the accounts that they've heard from others and put it into their letters or into their writing. It becomes historic. We had Josephus. Josephus is not, a, is not considered one of the, the um, um, uh, canonical uh, uh, authors. He was not inspired by God. He was a Jew that was writing history down. But he also bears witness to much of what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John saw because he lived during that time period as well. He even writes about Christ in his writings. So you have these eyewitness testimonies, right, that were there. Um, seven, I believe on seven, the New Testament says Jesus claimed to be God. Eight, Jesus' claim to be God was miraculously confirmed by his fulfillment of many prophecies about himself. I mean, we're talking not one or two, we're talking hundreds. This is something that only, only God could do. Uh, his sinless life and miraculous deeds his prediction and accomplishment of, of his resurrection. He predicts it, and it happens. Number nine, therefore Jesus is God. If that's all true, nine means Jesus is God. Ten, whatever Jesus who, uh, who is God teaches has to be true. Eleven, Jesus taught that the Bible is the word of God. If he's true and he's God, that makes the word of God what? Reliable and true. 12, therefore, it is true that the Bible is the word of God. Anything opposed to it is false. Any other holy book has to now line up with the word of God that Jesus endorsed, okay? So I'm simply saying that if the Bible is true, then any specific claim that contradicts the Bible must be false, So the first premise that we're learning now as Christians is we take the word of God as his word. The Bible is his word, and there's nothing higher. So when others want to then impose other types of books or whatever there may be, there can be truth in those books and not be the truth of the word of God. Does that make sense? So it all falls into that category. 
And, and, and for example, if the Bible is true and it says that there is a God beyond the universe who created and sustains the universe, which is theism, then any claim that denies theism must be false. So that's our premise. That's where we start. So we don't take on, you know, they could be right. They're already wrong based on what the word of God says. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the way. He is the truth. Without him, there's no way to get to the Father. He's not, in the other holy writings, he was listed as a holy man or a prophet. He's not just a holy man. He's not just a prophet. He is the son of God with deity, who walked as man on the earth, taking all the temptations that we have, and then on the cross, without any sin or legal right, his life was taken from him, but actually the Bible says he gave his life, he laid it down like a lamb to the slaughter, and because of that blood that was slain, now all men are absolved of their sin and can go to heaven. There is no other way outside of Christ. So it's not like we're looking for another truth. We know the truth. It is the truth. And by the way, that's the only claim we find in any other religion that makes it so clear, crystal clear. Amen. That goes on, that, so that goes for all religions. Anything that, is, that denies the word of God cannot be true. So church, this is why we're getting into the study, to know the truth and have it examine our lives. I don't want this to puff us up and make us uh, sassy and, and we want to fight anybody now. We got some word now, we're going to, take on battles on the internet or whatever, or, or, or write people over and I'm gonna make sure they know they're wrong. No, 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 this is not to puff us up because that's pride. And, and pride goes before the fall. And, and if you don't have a heart for people, I don't think God will ever let you use that, this kind of ammo. This is not to tear people down. It's to warn them that there is a hell and it's hot, but you can escape it by going to Christ. Don't get caught up. And all these other games and religious ways, that's not the way. Christ is the way. And I want you to grow. And I want his word to grow inside of you. And, but we have to be prepared. We can't be like these, these um, little sheep that are scared when topics come up and we just back out of them because we don't want to say. We have to, apologetics means to defend the faith. We have to be able to defend our faith anytime, anywhere. Not that you have to know everything that we're teaching, but you're going to know principles that are going to keep you on target, that, that are irrefutable, and, and, and um, at least they'll be irrefutable to you, because when people try to come against you, you're already going to know the truth, so it's not going to rock your world whatsoever. First Peter 3.15 says this, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Why should they believe like you believe? You should be prepared to give that defense with meekness and fear. That means, that means to do it with a humble heart and a reverence, fear, to be reverent, not to be mean, haughty, and be a big know-it-all. Amen? Christians are commanded to know what they believe and why they believe it. They're commanded to give answers to those who seek and ask. We are to, to reason our faith because God is reasonable. Isaiah 118 says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. He's talking about our sin, of course, and praise God, he has an answer and brings us mercy and changes the sin to nothing in our lives. It becomes, it becomes white as snow. That's beautiful, but he's saying, let us reason together. God can be reasonable. About Matthew 20, 22, verse 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your what? Mind. So it's, we can be intellectual, amen. We can be reasonable. Here's the thing. We demand the truth from our loved ones because nobody wants their loved ones to lie to them. We demand the truth from doctors because we don't want them to prescribe us the wrong medication for what ails us. We demand the truth from stockbrokers that, you know, the, that they're telling us the right things about companies that we're to invest in. We, we demand truth from um, our court systems to not wrongfully uh, put somebody in prison, but actually to, to bring justice. We, we demand truth from our employers so that they will tell us really what our job is and not surprise us when we get it and that, that they will pay us the, a fair wage. 
you know, the right, a rightful wage in, 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 in this nation. Also, our airlines and our FDA system and all of our governmental agencies, and it goes on and on. How about our news outlets? We, we demand truth from them, even though we don't always get the truth from them. And what's really weird is we continue to watch stuff that we know is not giving us the truth just because it entertains us. I, I, I cut that news off a long time ago, y'all, and I've never been more free. I get my news... You ever heard of this network? It's called the Good News Network. It's the good news, and I get it from the Bible. Amen. I'm, I'm, I'm taking time with God. It's not that I don't have my head completely in the sand. I know events that are happening, but I'm not spending my time hearing somebody else dialogue with their opinion to get me riled up and mad at the other people. Y'all, I love y'all so much, but you're so quiet, and it's like a very sophisticated crowd this morning. I love it. On the other hand, Despite our demands for truth in those areas, many people are still not interested in truth when it comes to morality or religion. Isn't that weird? So we, we demand truth for everything else, but when it comes to our eternal salvation, eh, I guess we're going to find out when we find out. What? God made a way for us to know. They say things, well, you know, thanks for sharing that with me, but uh, that's true for you. Now, it can't be true for just me. Because truth is truth, period. It really bugs me when people say, I'm telling my truth. I hate it, to be honest with you. Maybe I, I can look past it and say, well, I kind of know what they mean, but let's get real. You're not telling your truth. You're either telling the truth or you're not. You're lying. Does that make sense? I get this. You should say, I'm telling my story. That's different. But you're not telling your truth versus somebody else that lived the same house that you lived in, and they're going, well, that ain't my truth about you. Because either it's true or it's not. Augustine was right when he said that we love the truth when it enlightens us and we hate it when it convicts us. I feel like praying in tongues right there. Jesus, that's, that's, that's true right there. Amen. In this series, we're going to address four questions concerning truth. One, what is truth? Two, can truth be known? Three, can truth about God be known? And four, who cares about truth? Who cares about it? Very simply put, truth is just telling it like it is. Yes, you sprinkle it with love and meekness, as the Bible says, and, and, and reason. Of course you do, but you still tell it because it is the truth. When Pilate had Jesus in front of him, he could see there was something different about this man. And he's actually saying, he's trying to give Jesus opportunity to get out of this, this lynch mob that's going to crucify him and force him to do it under Roman law. And, um, you know, he looks and says, he says to, to Jesus, um, he says, I, I find no fault in this man. Remember, he was asked, he asked, he asked the truth, he said, truth, what is truth? He's trying to get to the bottom. He's not trying to be philosophical. He's trying to get to the bottom. What's the truth about this man? What is truth? What, 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 does, what does this man, nobody can give him a straight answer. And then he asked Jesus, and then Jesus says, well, you know, he gives a completely spiritual answer. You know, if this was of my kingdom, my, my, my people would have been fighting for me already, but there, there it is, this, this is not my kingdom. And so, he says, I find no fault in this man. So Pilate found truth that even though I don't have all the evidence, I see that this man is not guilty of the things that he did. We find that in John chapter 18. Truth can also be defined as that which corresponds to its object or that which describes an actual state of affairs. Pilate's judgment was true because it matched the object. It matched Jesus. It matched up with him, I should say. It described an accurate state of affairs. Jesus was, in fact, innocent, and he knew it in his heart of hearts. Church, all truth is absolute. All truth is narrow. All truth is exclusive. All of it. It's not relative. Truth is the same for me as it is for you. It doesn't matter how old we are. It doesn't matter how young we are. It doesn't matter the color of our skin. It doesn't matter what city we live in or what nation of the world we live in. 
It's always the same. It's the same for everybody, but we live in an age. It's an age of change. And there's people crying out for change. And, and some of this is God. And, and of course, the enemy will get involved in that. It is like an awakening going on in the world. And what's happening now, though, that the travesty is, is that everything that can be shaken, just like the Bible says, is being shaken. All the constructs of normality is being shaken to its defeat. In other words, where it doesn't need to be. God still believes in a man and a woman as husband and wife. God still believes in the the family, a father and a mother in the home. I know it doesn't maybe look that way right now in a lot of homes today, and I'm not here to put any type of condemnation. Trust me, I'm not. I'm just here to tell you that God always has a best standard. He always has. So his absolutes and truth, they don't shake for nobody. We have constructs. Uh, we got pronouns. We got to tell people there are thems and theys, and I don't know what to call them anymore. And then you listen to them talk to each other, and then they begin to contradict each other because it's so ridiculous. Nobody can keep up with it anymore. We can't have genders in the bathrooms anymore because everybody can just do what they want to do. And I'm telling you right now, in this church, if you're a man, you are born a man, you ain't going to a woman's bathroom. Not happening. Not in this house. I don't care who you are. I love you. But you take your little dress into that man's room, praise God, if you were born a man. Amen. Now, I love you, but I'm not, that we won't tolerate because I don't know your spirit. I don't know who you are. And you're not going to be around my, my women in this church or the children. Because now anybody can claim anything. You say that's worst case scenario. We have to plan for worst case scenario. There are pedophiles out there. There are rapists out there. They work the system. This is what they do. Are all people like that that way? Of course not. But there's enough where you got to go, hold on a second. It's, it's just gotten bizarre. It's gotten nuts. And even people in that community go, it's kind of crazy. It's going further than they ever thought. Because everything that can be shaken is being shook. And so we got to know what is truth. Because truth is an absolute. It doesn't change ever. Amen. And if you're watching me and you're upset with me because you're transgender, I'm telling you right now, that is not even, people that know me, I love you. It has nothing to do with that at all. But you can't change the rest of the world to fit your little thing, your little viewpoint. It doesn't work that way. Truth is still truth. There are many other truths about truth. Here are some of them. Truth is discovered. It's not invented. You can stumble on it, but you can't invent it. Truth uh, uh, exists independent of anyone else's knowledge of it. For years and years and years, nobody talked about gravity. No one thought, what's the word gravity? Well, it's a force that's holding you to the earth, to the round earth. And Newton figured it out, right? Newton. Apple falls, well, what goes up must come down. You know, he starts doing, and he was a brilliant man for his time based on the measurements he could give you during that time. So what's happening? So he, he's describing something that nobody else knew, but it always existed. It didn't matter if you knew it or not, it existed. Does that make sense? Think of all the discoveries we had in the last hundreds, hundred, year, hundred years, I should say. What happened? That those things existed, they just did not exist in your world yet. But they were there. Truth is, Transculture or transcultural is, is something that is true. If something is true, it is true for all people. Truth is, let me reread that. Truth is transcultural. If something is true, it is true for all people in all places at all times. Two plus two equals four every single time, for everywhere and every place. That's, and that's the beauty of it. It, it, it. I could put my mind at ease. This is never going to change. This is going to always be reliable for me. That's what I love about Christ. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's reliable. He'll never change. Truth is unchanging even though our beliefs about truth change. When we begin, began to believe that the earth was round instead of flat, the truth about the earth didn't change. Only our beliefs toward it changed. Beliefs cannot change a fact. I said beliefs cannot change a fact no matter how sincerely they are held. Someone can sincerely believe that their dog is a cat and treat them like a cat and feed them cat food. Guess what? It's still a dog. So, so in other words, they're sincerely mistaken. They may not 
mean to be, but their belief is wrong. Truth is not affected by the attitude of, of the one professing it. I like this one because you can take an arrogant man and even though he's arrogant, he tells the truth, it's still truth even though he's a jerk. Or you can take the meekest person on the planet and they can tell something that's not a truth, but even though they're so kind and likable, it's still wrong. Does that make sense? So it's not the messenger, it's the message. Our kids, we send them off to college, we, 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 we either put them in debt or we pay lots and lots of money, pretty much who can afford that these days, $100,000, whatever it is, I don't know what it is, depending on what you're going to school for. And we send them to these colleges that are so anti-Christ, so godless, and they're atheists or agnostic at best, and they preach their gospel. And you took your Christian kid who served God their whole life, and you threw them in an atmosphere where they can't compete on a level of intellect like they are at, and they begin to twist the simple story of Christ to make them begin to doubt that it never happened at all. I would say save your money. There is so much you can do, and I'm not, I'm not even against education. I'm, I'm, I think if you want to do it, go for it. But just understand that you're spending $100,000 on stuff that's going it's gonna, it's gonna, to, it's, it's designed to change your children. And then they walk out and don't even follow the education they went for anyways. I want to be an artist. You went to school to be a doctor, artist. <laughs> you know liberal professors teaching kids that there is no truth this is their philosophy y'all this happens all the time and this ain't this has been happening since the 60s 50s 60s teaching kids that there is no truth not to mention other self-defeating post-modern assertions such as all truth is relative let me help you out here did I put this up there I don't know if I did all truth is relative when they say all truth is relative, you should say, is that a relative truth? When they say there are no absolutes, you should ask, are you absolutely sure? Oh, y'all ain't paying attention, but some of you are catching it. All right? Uh, it's, it's true for you, but not for me. Is that statement true for you, or is it true for everyone? Amen. So you take the very argument and you flip it on them there's no absolute truth are you absolutely sure yes I am how you just said you can't be absolutely truth truthful true for you but not for me may be the mantra of the day and we have heard a lot of that but it's not how the world actually works take that philosophy true for me but not for you to the IRS when it's time to pay your taxes Amen. How about, how about when it's time to pay the bills or the landlord or, you know, or, or the police officer? True for you, not for me. You know, no, that's not how it works. Why? There's absolutes. There's laws of the land that make it absolute, right? Church, Jesus is absolute truth. God's word is absolute truth. Salvation through Christ and Christ alone is absolute truth. One God, one Savior, one Lord, one body is absolute truth. So can truth be known? There's a man, who, he passed away, oh gosh, maybe 15, 20 years ago. I, I don't know for sure, but uh, his name is D. James Kennedy and he used to be on television, had a huge television program, older guy. I've known him, I grew up watching him my whole life, you know. Not really watching him, but I've seen him on television. And um, very, very gifted man of God. And, and um, he created a program, you might have heard of it, called Evangelism Explosion. EE is what they referred to it as. Remember that, that program? And it was basically a door-to-door -door program you went and, and it gave you an opportunity to go witness to your neighbors or, or go into neighborhoods and you pray for them and then you, you release and you knock on doors and you share with them. And you started by asking him questions. The first question is, can I ask you a spiritual question? Most of the time they say, well, what's a spiritual question? They well, thank you for asking that. Let me, let me share with you what I'm asking. And they would say, if you were to die tonight and you were to stand before God 
What would you tell God in regards to you getting into his heaven? What would you say that this is the reason why you should let me into heaven? And they found that in the high 90 percentile that people would answer the same way because I'm a good person. I never killed anybody. Oh my God, I guess you are a good person. I mean, as, 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 you know, you're not a murderer. That's great, you know. Um, uh, I, um, I give to the poor when I see them many times. I've done that. I've served in my community. I've, I helped my mother-in-law out. I didn't like her. I helped her out anyways. You know, they come up with all these different reasons to, to uh, say how good of a person they are. I'm not bad like the other guy is. He might deserve hell, but I don't. And so that became kind of a, a place where they would go, this, it's the perfect place to preach the gospel because the gospel is not about good works. It's not about you doing good enough because you can't do good enough because of the source. What's the source? You are the source. I'm the source. We're sinners. But Jesus came not as a sinner, a man who knew no sin. And so you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news is that he took upon him your sin and your belief in him. Your simple faith in him, your trust in him will absolve you those sins and now you can go to heaven. So when you stand before God and if he ever does ask the question why you should come into his heaven, you say, because I received your son as my Lord and my Savior. I wasn't perfect, but I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And he'll say, come enter in. And that's how they got people saved. I'm just here to tell you in case people don't understand that. Can all religions be true? The moral of the EE evangelism explosion story is that complete ag agnosticism and skepticism is self-defeating. Agnostics and skeptics make truth, watch this, they make the truth claim that truth claims cannot be made. They make their own truth claim that your truth claim cannot be made. They say that truth can't be known, but then claim that their view is true. You can't have it both ways. Think about it. The nature of God, the nature of man, sin, salvation, heaven, hell, creation, those are the big ones. Big, those are the biggies, we say, the big ticket items. And here are a few of those big differences. Jews, Christians, and Muslims believe in different versions of a theistic God. We believe that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Son of God. They believe him to be a prophet. While most Hindus and New Agers believe that everything that exists is part of an impersonal, pantheistic force that they call God. We used to call them tree huggers back in the day, you know, because don't cut the tree down, God's in the tree, and therefore you can't cut the tree down, that kind of thing. That's a pantheistic view, okay? Um, many Hindus believe that evil is a complete illusion, while Christians and Muslims and Jews believe that evil is in fact real, that there is a real devil and there's real evil that goes on. And I think that's becoming more and more apparent every day, which is why it blows my mind that the house of God, not just this house, my friends, everybody I know are not filled this morning and overflowing knowing the hour is short, knowing it blows my mind how people continue to live their own way and not say, wait a second here. There's evil in the world. We got to get back to God. We got to get back to the house of God. We got to get back to doing what's right. We just celebrated Sukkot, the booths, getting along with God, making God a priority in your life. And next thing you know, hey, there's a fall festival over here. Let's go check it out. What are we doing? Why are we wasting our life with things that don't matter? Let me get back to you liking me again. Amen. Let's talk about the other people. All right, here we go. Then there's truth versus tolerance. Tolerance nowadays means that you're supposed to accept every belief is true. No. I can't be tolerant then. If that's tolerance, I won't be tolerant. I'm not going to accept that everything is true. When you know that's a filthy lie. In a religious context, this is known as religious pluralism. The belief that all religions are true. Again, that goes back to the elephant and the blind men. It's true to their experience, but they're blind. 
so they don't know what they're connecting to, right? They don't know that it's the elephant. It's the actual, that's the actual thing that's in the room. They think it's the ear or the tail of the leg. God showed me, uh, and I've expressed this many times from this pulpit, that polytheism, the belief in many gods, is coming back, especially in America. It's already in some of the eastern parts of the world, especially in India, of course, we know that, but um, that it's going to become popular. And, and I did not hear this until yesterday. And the Spirit of God spoke to me, and I, I, I said, Lord, I remember that I was in the movie theater, and I was seeing, watching this movie, and it was about these different gods, and I was, you know, like superheroes and stuff. And I'm going, wow, this is pretty wild. And then I heard the Spirit of God said, this is coming back. Polytheism is coming back. Who you watch. He never told me why until yesterday. And I'm praying, and Spirit of God says, do you want to know why? Because I'm about to do so many miracles. The supernatural is going to begin to show up so much that the enemy deniers are going to come out of the woodwork and claim it was their God. That blew me away. I did not see I did not see the reason why people were believing that way. It's because of the claims taking ownership of God's miracles. When you see people go and 10 people in a hospital or a morgue or whatever are raised from the dead in the news or reported, and they said they did in the power of Jesus Christ, how many know there's going to be other people claiming that the same thing is happening over here by their God? And I went, okay, Lord, we got to be careful. We live in a day and age of great deception and we got to stay right where we're supposed to be because when Moses threw down his st staff, they also threw down their staffs and they turned to snakes too. But Moses' staff ate up theirs. So my closing is a summary. I believe I did ask you to put this up there. Didn't I, the summary? Yeah? No. I know I did, but okay. Number one, because I didn't want to just read it. I wanted to read it with me. Number one, despite the relativism that emanates from our culture, truth is absolute, exclusive, and knowable. To deny absolute truth is its knowability uh, is self-defeating. Number two, the turn-it-around tactic turns a statement on itself and helps expose the self-defeating and false statements that are so common today. Are you, you, know, are you absolutely sure? That, that's a turn-it-around statement. These include statements, uh, is it true, is it relative, can you know that for a fact, stuff like that. Basically, any statement that is unaffirmable uh, because it contradicts itself must be false. Number three, truth is not dependent on our own feelings or preferences. Something that is true whether we like it, something is true whether we like it or not. And four, uh, contrary to po popular opinion, major world religions do not all teach the same things. They have e essential differences and only superficial agreements. All religions cannot be true because they teach opposites, okay? So there's our summary of our lesson today. Praise God. Y'all enjoy that so far? Okay, that's the setup. That's the setup. So we're going to be going into this in the weeks to come. It's going to give us a lot of information, so I'm pretty excited about that. I'll do my best to get up on the screen for you um, and all that good stuff, but uh, try to take some notes or take the pictures and go over it later. It's online for free. Go back over the message. Listen to it again. Get it in your spirit. Share this with people. Go online today. Share this message. Get it out there. The devil gets his stuff out there all the time. We got to start being more proactive and getting that out there. And I believe this might be the most important message I've ever preached in this church. So, you know, I, I am a little disappointed because I, I want more people to hear it. I do. So let's get the, let's get the, let's get the news out there. Let's make it happen. Amen?